Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us today. Our guest today is Josh Balk, and he is the Vice President of Farm Animal Protection for the Humane Society of the United States. And we're going to be talking about a topic we really have covered only sort of tangentially so far on Go Green Radio. We're going to be talking about the things that we ought to know about farm animal welfare. And why do we cover that on Go Green Radio? Well, because there's a huge environmental impact uh, to the way that farm animals are treated in America, and we need to understand that. So I'm really excited to bring on our guest. Welcome to Go Green Radio, Josh. We're so glad to have you. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me on, Jill. You bet. Now, before we kind of launch into our topic of the day, I'd like to give you a chance to talk to us about the Humane Society of the United States, even though it's an organization that's been around a long time. Some of our listeners may not know much about it. So talk to us about your organization. It has been around for a long time. I was founded in 1954, and it was founded to take on the big issues of the day. And I think that's not so different than what's going on uh, right here in 2020. And that is that, you know, there are so many wonderful animal protection charities on the local level, whether they're rescue organizations, shelters, or other advocacy local groups that do just a tremendous job on tackling a wide range of local issues. And you can imagine, you know, helping animals, uh, who have been abandoned, animals found on the streets, you're finding homes for them, uh, humane solutions for wildlife. At the same time, there has to be an organization out there that has the strength, uh, the size, and the power to take on big, entrenched interests and industries that cause a lot of harm for animals. So we take on those big interests at very big issues of the day related to things like testing of animals for cosmetics, uh, taking on the puppy mill industry where dogs are confined in small cages used just for breeding and their lives are, are just filled with misery uh, for years on end. You know, it's taking on, you know, abhorrent ways of, of hunting like, you know, caging wild animals so people pay a lot of money to go in and just shoot animals uh, through a, a, you know, a large cage. Uh, these, are, these are the type of issues that local groups just don't have the ability to take on, but the Humane Society of the United States does. Uh, and that certainly is the case when it comes to farm animals, because most farm animals are raised in big operations called factory farms, uh, and they're part of massive conglomerates. And so if we're going to actually change how animals are raised for food for the better, it takes a big organization to do it. Mm-hmm. And we're able to take them on. Uh, you know, for so long, helping animals has always been David versus Goliath. Well, the animals need a Goliath on their side. <laughs> and we hope to be that Goliath uh, to, to help those animals out. I love that. I love that. And your particular role at the organization is VP of Farm Animal Farm Animal Protection. So uh, tell us more about what your job entails, the kind of things you do on a day-by-day, week-by-week basis. 
We want to reduce as much suffering to farm animals as we possibly can. And we have basically a two-path form formula to do it. One is to eliminate the worst practices, how animals are raised and killed for food. And the other is to reduce the number of animals who are even raised and killed for food. So we wage political campaigns. We wage campaigns related to food corporations to make reforms. We even work with the food industry with professional chefs that we have and professionals from the food industry themselves um, who work with food companies to add more plant-based foods to the menus. When we look at how the billions of animals raised for food in the United States uh, will have better conditions in the future, and hopefully billions fewer animals will have to be raised in the future, we feel like we're on the front lines making that happen with the type of effective and strategic campaigns that we've been waging. Well, and, and I want to ask you a really big question. This is going to be like squeezing a watermelon into a Coke bottle, but um, how <laughs> does, yeah, this is a tough one, but, but take your time. How does meat production impact climate change? Yeah, I'll do my best with that watermelon, Jill. So you're right. It <laughs> is a very, very big issue. Uh, when you look at what the United Nations studied, you know, in 2018, uh, the United Nations, you know, came out. Uh, with a report, uh, and it had to do with what caused the biggest impact for the environment, uh, especially uh, greenhouse gas emissions. And, and their analysis was that meat production was the world's most urgent problem, as they said. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they said it's going to be likely the most destructive way we leave our footprint on the planet. Uh, you know, when you look at the amount of greenhouse gases that are emitted from animal agriculture, it's greater than all transportation in the world combined, wow. all combined. Mm-hmm. And it's just for meat production. And, and it's not just carbon dioxide that we often think of carbon dioxide as a you know, greenhouse gas that causes uh, tremendous uh, damage. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it has to do with methane emissions. And methane is, is about 20 times more potent of uh, an emitter than CO2 even is. And that, this comes from the meat industry. And, and you might be wondering, like, okay, uh, all right, I get that, but, like, why is that? You know, why is the meat industry so destructive? What is it about it? So, so here, here's the reason why. First, let's just focus on the United States. There's about 9 billion animals raised uh, for food in the United States, so they're all breathing in oxygen and exhaling carbon dioxide. Beyond that, their waste is emitting methane. So think about 9 billion animals every single day desiccating and the amount of waste that comes from them. And that piling up every single day for every single week, every month, every year. That's a key part of why animal agriculture is so destructive in terms of greenhouse gas emissions. Another part has to do with transportation involved with animal agribusiness. So if you think about it, how are these animals get their feed? I mean, they're confined in warehouses all across the country. Where do they get their feed from? Most of them aren't outside grazing on the land. Well, it's trucks driving all across the country bringing feed to these operations. 
And so much of the feed comes from the Midwest. So you can imagine just trucks coming back and forth filled with grains from the Midwest all across the country, feeding these animals uh, inside these warehouses. Now, let's think about the feed, where that comes from also. So, yes, Mm -hmm. it's from the Midwest. Also, feed comes internationally, you know, like uh, South America. And the feed is produced by tearing down forests. And, of course, that's terrible when it comes to wildlife uh, and destroying homes for animals. But as your listeners know, you know, forests actually take in carbon dioxide. And so when the forests are destroyed, less opportunities for carbon dioxide to be taken from the air. And and the reason why these forests are destroyed to begin with is to produce feed for those very animals who we're eating. And it's such an inefficient process, Jill. You know, if you, when we talk so much about climate change, we talk about efficiencies. Like how can we get more efficient cars or light bulbs or refrigerators? Well, meat is as inefficient as it comes when it comes to food. You know, in fact, it takes about five pounds of crops to produce one pound of chicken. I mean, imagine, really? imagine oh, I, I wanted, it's just an unbelievable, imagine if I was you know, producing cars and I'm like, you know what, Jill, welcome to my car dealership. What we do is produce five cars, but then we rip those cars apart and we put them <laughs> back together to produce one car. You would think that that was nuts. Why would yes. you do such a thing? Well, that's what we do when it comes to food. Yeah, that that really doesn't make a lot of sense. And and the way that you just, you know, put that all together for us um, makes perfect sense. Now, give us some idea of how protecting farm animal welfare might help to mitigate the impact that meat production has on climate change. How How would that help? Well, a major reason why that helps is if we focus on protecting farm animals by eating less of them. And that's so much of the work that we do at the Humane Society of the United States. And there's been just a tremendous trend in the United States of everyday ordinary Americans eating more plant-based foods. And, and mm-hmm. if you look at the science, the science is clear. You know, Carnegie Mellon found that eating meatless just one day a week saves more greenhouse gas emissions than eating an entire local diet. And we've all heard you know, the expression, hey, eat local, eat local. Right. Well, even eating one day a week plant-based is better than eating local every single meal. You know, there's a, the other scientists found that even if we go, you know, again, meatless just one day a week, just one day a week, if everyone did this in the United States, they'd be equivalent of taking more than 30 million cars off the roads. Wow. So when we look at actual type of movement to help climate change, making small changes in our own diet can have massive effect for the type of outcome that we're all striving for. You know, you know you, actually, I'm happy that we're speaking today because it was just a few days ago the University of Oxford came out with uh, their analysis about tackling climate change. And they, on the, the top of their analysis, they said the key aspect has to come down to people eating more plant-based food. And so I'm a big believer in science. I believe in the science of climate change. And when I look at what scientists are saying, they're saying eat more plant-based foods is as important as anything out there if we want to try to slow down and hopefully potentially reverse 
the impact of climate change. Well said, you know, and and it's funny because on this show, we talk a lot about a whole lot of ways that we can combat climate change, mitigate greenhouse gas emissions. And and what you've just presented there isn't even hard, even even just beginning with one day a week of, of meatless food. It's not hard. That's something we can all do. We're going to take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, we have much more with Josh Balk. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a clean world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all tune in and so happy to have our guest today. He's really going to cover some important information for us. We have Josh Balk, who is the Vice President of Farm Animal Protection at the Humane Society of the United States. And just before the break, we were talking about you know, simple things that all of us can do that may very well have the most impact we could possibly have on climate change. And that is to change up our diet, even a little bit, one day a week of going meatless can have such an impact. Now, Josh, I want to shift our focus a little bit from climate change and environmental impact and start talking about the animals. So let's talk about how animals that are raised for meat eggs or dairy live in a typical farm setting that is not adhering to humane practices or policies. And take your time, help us understand what life is like for them. Uh, Life is so sad. It's such a shame for what's going on to these animals. Uh, When we grew up, we probably heard stories of old McDonald's farm of animals roaming a field and, and having a good life, being able to dig in the ground and, 
you know, being fed by the small family farmer at night and, and just living in a, a utopian situation. Unfortunately, uh, little could be further from the truth. Uh, virtually all animals raised for food in the United States are raised inside these warehouses known as factory farms. And so let's take chickens. Chickens uh, by far are the animals who are most abused and are the most number of animals uh, who are raised for food. So of the 9 billion, it's, almost, it's about 90% of that 9 billion are, are chickens. So let's, let's, let's um, talk about these chickens. So chickens in the meat industry are genetically manipulated to grow so big, so fast, they're at full size at just over 40 days. And so by the end of their life, they can barely even move because their legs are crippled beneath them. Their heart is pumping as fast as it can to, to be able to have blood flow throughout their enormous body. Their lungs have problems trying to breathe in enough, enough oxygen. And this is the suffering we're doing to these poor birds. And what is such a sad twist in this technology known as meat production is that chicken meat comes from baby chickens. That's where chicken meat comes from. And, and if you look at chickens who are raised in egg production, you know, most of these chickens are confined in small cages. You know, these are known as battery cages, about the size of your home microwave. You know, imagine your home microwave, then stick in six or eight chickens in a cage the size of that microwave, and they're there for a year and a half, a oh. year and a half unable to even spread their wings. This is the life for, the, for these chickens in the egg industry. And for, in the pork uh, side of things, you know, most mother pigs are confined in what are called gestation crates. These are cages so small that pigs can't even turn around. Hmm. They're there for four years. As long as we went to high school, these animals can't even turn around. These are cages basically kind of forged into coffins, and that's the life of these mother pigs. And so, you know, it's very tra traumatic, I think, when most of us discover the truth behind where meat, eggs, and dairy come from. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it's traumatic, I got to tell you, Jill, it gives me hope. It gives me hope because most of us don't like to hear this stuff. Most of us want animals to be treated well. Most of us don't want animals to suffer. And the fact that that is an instinct most of us have means that I think change is more likely going to continue to come because we are on the right side when it comes mm -hmm. to making a more humane world. We just have to go out there and make it happen. Yeah. And I'm going to ask my listeners to be brave. I know this is hard, um, you know, and, and it's not an easy topic, but um, as they say, the truth shall set you free. So let's discover the truth. You know, some people say that animals don't feel pain or they don't feel emotion the same way that humans do. But how do the animals react to this kind of life? Talk to us about what you know and what you've seen, Josh. Most of us uh, have animals in, in, in our homes, you know, a dog or a cat. And, you know, I saw a polling that showed virtually all of us, and, and this is a good thing, whether you're conservative, liberal, Republican, Democrat, independent, most of us view the dog in our life or the cat in our life as a family member. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, coming off a contentious election, isn't it nice that maybe we all come together just to <laughs> care about these animals in our lives? I mean, that's, mm -hmm. a, that's a beautiful thing. And, and part of it is that we just know their emotions. 
you know, we know if our dog is happy. We know if our dog is sad. We know when our dog is, is excited and, and thrilled to see us. We just know these things, and we know these things even when we're children because we have such a bond with animals. Here, here's the thing, though, is that it's not just the dogs and cats in our lives who, who have these emotions. Farm animals do, too. Uh, chickens, as a, in, in fact, uh, egg-laying hens, so the mother chickens, they're great mothers. You know, there's a, you know, there's a terminology like, oh, what a great mother hen, they say sometimes mm-hmm. to, to people who are good mothers. Well, that, that comes from the expression because egg-laying chickens, they're, they're good mothers. They care about their young. They will protect their young with their life. They love their young as much as we would love our kids. You have pigs in the, in, in the, in the pork industry, you know, scientists have found they're smarter than our dogs at home. In fact, and this is a really kind of, this is the type of experiment I'm, I'm all about. Uh, pigs actually were tested how good they were playing video games. <laughs> and they had a joystick. <laughs> and, and so whenever they did well in a video game, they get some treats. And, and they play video games as well as children play video games. Oh, my god! That's how smart these animals are. So they're smart. They have emotions. Uh, and for me, what drives me is that they do sadly have the capacity to suffer. Uh, and, you know, for, these, uh, for a mother pig in a cage and she can't turn around her whole life, she goes truly and scientifically insane truly insane. She will bite at the bars in her front because that's the only thing she can do. Blood often comes out just from the gums because mm-hmm. there's nothing left of the, of the teeth. Uh, there's the psychosis that occurs. They start swaying. You know, she would start swaying left or right because there's nothing much to do. And if finally, there's a point in her life where she just gives up and, and she just gives up on, on life. And what a shame that we forced this torture on her. What a shame we forced the torture on an egg-lying hen uh, who can never spread her wings her whole life and all she can do is look out her cage. What a shame that a baby chicken uh, in the meat industry is filled with suffering. What did this chicken do to us? What, how does she deserve such a fate? Well, what a, what a horrible thing we're doing uh, to these animals. So. You know, I wish, I really wish, Jill, uh, I could tell you that these animals aren't feeling pain. They're not suffering. Uh, unfortunately, uh, they are very much. They are very much. And, and hopefully knowing that propels all of us to, to help take some steps uh, to do something about it. My heart is beating so fast right now. I have to be honest, Josh. A lot of times, you know, I ask the questions I ask on Go Green Radio and I'm you know, unemotional about it because I know the answers. And even though I, I, I know what's going on, just hearing you describe it causes me so much sadness, but we're going to take it a step further. I mean, nobody likes talking about how animals are slaughtered for meat, but let's go there, Josh. Describe this for us so that we can have a better understanding of what animals go through and how the animals around them react. I can I unfortunately can give a pretty clear understanding because I work in the slaughterhouse. Uh, you know, years ago, I worked as an undercover investigator. And what's the need of an undercover investigator? Well, the need is that the meat industry doesn't want people to know what it looks like inside these slaughterhouses. They know that if there were glass windows 
of Mm -hmm. surrounding the slaughterhouse and people could look in, they would stop buying the products. They don't want to support such horrific cruelty. And so because they hide it so well, it does take undercover investigators to go in to expose it and document it and videotape it. And so um, I worked in a chicken slaughterhouse uh, and I remember, you know, my heart was racing, talking about heart racing. My heart Mm -hmm. was racing going in there. I was hooked up with, with the undercover equipment. Uh, I walked into what's called the shackling room. That's where birds are shackled. I was scared that I was going to get caught, honestly. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I walked up to the conveyor belt waiting for the chickens to enter. And I heard some churning on the left and door open and chickens were dropped on the conveyor belt. And I looked over to my left and the chickens started approaching me. Mm-hmm. Many of them were shackled by the time they even got to me. Then finally, this one chicken got to me, and that was the moment of truth. I I had to pick her up, and I could grab onto those legs that were disfigured because of the genetic manipulation. Uh, I could see how massive this this baby bird was. I felt like the size of a hawk, how big this poor bird was. She was pecking at me, scratching at me, trying to live, trying to escape, and I shackled her. Uh, And I can say from from the deepness of my heart she was scared she was Mm -hmm. so incredibly scared Uh, and I'll never forget her for me she is the propellant that motivates me to try to be as effective as it comes because if we don't do something about this more of her is going to suffer the same fate this is real life stuff that, that you're talking about on your show today you know, right as we're talking, decisions that we are making in our lives will affect others to the point that it is truly life and death. Uh, and what I would also say, though, and what gives us hope for a better future is that more of us now know about what's going on. More of us now are removing our support from what's going on. More of us are eating these plant-based meals out there. More of us are eating the veggie burgers that are out there, the Beyond Meats of the world, the Possible Foods of the world, you know, Gardein, Field Roast that we can get into any of our grocery stores. Burger King has it now. Jack in the mm-hmm. Box in California has veggie chicken. The fact that it's so much easier now than before makes me feel kind of a warm sense that we are headed in a good direction. And no matter how sad it was that we just heard and what I was forced to take part of as an undercover investigator, that sadness, I think, is going to be overtaken by by hope and by a better future, by all of us taking just even basic steps to remove our support from those practices. Well, I think you're right. And I think that, you know, there are a lot of people who are – even though I think everybody in somewhere in their the recesses of their mind has an idea of what's going on, more and more of us are opening our eyes, being brave, looking at the truth, and making decisions based on that truth. So we're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the great solutions that we can all be a part of, uh, even beyond changing our diet, some of the things that uh, the Humane Society has been doing. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. 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 
Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Dolvanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Dolvanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. I am so glad that you could tune in and so glad to have our guest today, Josh Balk, the Vice President of Farm Animal Protection for the Humane Society of the United States. And um, I want to talk about some of the amazing work that you're doing, Josh. You led a proposition in California that I was very proud to vote for, Proposition 12, Hmm. that was back in 2018. It passed with more than 60% of the vote. I would love for you to tell our listeners about that landmark ballot measure and what happened in the upshot of its passage. Well, thank you for voting for it, Jill. Uh, You know, fortunately, you and millions others voted for it as well to get more than 60% of the vote. And and what that proposition was about was the following. And by the way, for folks listening who don't live in, in proposition states, about half the states in our country allow petitions to be signed. And if you get enough signatures, you can put something on the ballots. When you vote for president or governor or senator, you can vote on another issue. And so for us at the Humane Southern United States, what we put for, for Proposition 12 in California was that if you voted yes, it would ban the confinement of egg-laying chickens, mother pigs, and baby veal calves in tiny cages, and it would ban the sale of eggs, pork, and veal from caged animals. And so waging this campaign, it was waging campaign for the strongest law for farm animals in the world. Mm -hmm. And we were up against big agribusiness interests. They put in a lot of money, a lot of time, debates up and down the states, you know, editorial board meetings, 
lots of media. I mean, this was a political campaign in the most ex- expensive state in the country to wage in. Uh, and at the end, we did win, uh, and it did pass uh, overwhelmingly. And I think it goes to show that it doesn't take much to persuade people to do better for animals. I can't tell you how many people, Jill, who when they went out to vote on election day and we were holding up signs election day, they were driving to the, they're driving to the polls. And this is 2018 pre pandemic when people could mostly went to the polls in person. Uh They were driving the polls and we were holding up signs and people would, would, pull down the window and point to their dog in the car and yelling, I'm voting because of him. I'm voting because of him. Making the connection like, hey, I'm with the animals. I'm with the animals. And on behalf of my, my furry son over here, or my furry friend, uh, I'm going to vote for the animals here today. And it was so incredibly heartwarming. Um, you know, for those who follow politics, there's typically something called get out the vote operations. G-O-T-V, well, up in California, we did... Yes, exactly. GOTV. Well, we had POTV, pet out the vote, where people would go out with, with their dogs, had signs on them saying, vote yes, vote yes, for Proposition 12. And overall, you know, what was beautiful about it as well was that, you know, again, Democrats and Republicans and independents voted yes in favor of this, as you said correctly, this landmark legislation. And since then, we passed similar laws, this time through the state legislatures in Oregon, Washington, Michigan, and Colorado. So we are moving in a very good direction when it comes to banning the confinement of farm animals in cages. In fact, if I was on your show, I know you, your show started in uh, 2008, if I recall. If, if I was on one of your early episodes, uh, then what would happen is that I would have to tell you that you know, single-digit number of egg-laying hens were living in cage-free sources. Single digits were in cage-free operations, cage-free barns, outdoor operations. Now, almost 30% of the entire U.S. egg industry is cage-free, and that represents about 90 million animals who are free from cages who otherwise would be caged if it wasn't for these type of laws being passed. And so we've come a long, long way we're reducing a lot of suffering. Of course, we're never going to relax until we get every animal out of the cage, but, but I see the day coming. That's fantastic. And that gives me a lot of hope. And, and I'm so proud of you and the Humane Society for doing the hard, hard work to make that so. Now, in addition to public policy, you've also worked with uh, quite a number of restaurants and grocery stores to create a more humane supply chain. And I hate to think of animals and animal products as a supply chain, but that's the term that's used. Um, but take your time and tell us a few case studies of success in that, in that realm of your work. Uh, we've had a lot of success, and, and let me tell you why we do, do this type of work. Imagine how long it would take to try to persuade every single American, all about 340 million Americans, to stop buying eggs from caged animals. And more importantly, imagine if one person would contact a big pork company or chicken company saying, hey, I object to how you treat your animals. Please treat them better. They're going to they wouldn't care about one person or two people or 10 people contacted them. But you know who they would care about is the largest buyers of their products, as in the fast food chains, the grocery stores, uh, the, the, the supermarkets, food service companies, food makers. All of a sudden, 
that's when the big meat, egg, and dairy producers listen up. Because if, if those big food buyers mandate change, you know change will happen. So that's the reason why we implemented this strategy of focusing on those big food companies. So let me give a, a couple of case studies. As an example, we've got McDonald's, you know, the most iconic restaurant mm-hmm. chain the world has ever known. Mm-hmm. McDonald's buys about 2 billion eggs a year. Can you imagine that? Oof. 2 billion with a B eggs a year. And we waged a campaign and successfully got McDonald's to announce they're switching 100% of their eggs to cage-free. Wow. Now, we also got their competitors to do it too, like Burger King and Wendy's, Taco Bell. Beyond the fast food chains, we've gotten the largest grocery stores in the country to commit to over a set number of years only selling cage-free eggs like Safeway and, and Kroger. And so when we're talking about these big food companies, these brands that we all know, mandating to their suppliers, because you're right, they do talk about supply chains. When these food companies like a McDonald's goes down to their supply chain and says, listen, you know, each year we're going to raise the percent of cage frags we buy, eventually only buy cage frags, that supply chain changes. In mm-hmm. fact, the, the world's largest egg company, it's based in Mississippi, that's publicly traded, it's called CalMain. They publicly announced to shareholders that they are investing hundreds of millions of dollars converting their cage operations to cage-free operations in order to meet the demand that, uh, from these food companies enacting their, their own animal welfare policies of switching to cage-free and these laws that we talked about earlier. So is, we're, we're, again, moving in a good direction. This theme here that we're talking about, good direction. And you know what? Good is better. It's not great yet. We haven't got to the, the promised land yet, but we're moving in a positive direction each year at a time. And it's a combination of these food companies fulfilling their animal welfare pol- policies that we got enacted and those laws being passed that are going to get these animals out of cages. I love it. And, and you know, I want to talk to you about one more case study that I think is really hugely impactful, and that's your work with Sodexo. Tell us about that. Yes, thank you for asking about Sodexo, because Sodexo is the world's second largest food service company. Uh, For those of us who may never have heard of Sodexo, because it's not a brand name, you know, like a Mm -hmm. McDonald's or Burger Mm -hmm. King, but Sodexo runs the dining operations at tens of thousands of colleges, universities, K-12 schools, hospitals, stadiums. So when we go into like a university and we see big dining operations there, that's an outside company that typically runs it. And, that's, and the second largest one is Sodexo. And so here's what we're doing with Sodexo. Just as it's, it's more efficient to get the big food companies to mandate a switch to their suppliers to go cage-free, it's also even more efficient to get more plant-based foods out front and center if we work with big food companies to do it. And so what we've done with Sodexo is this. We have a, a, a team of amazing, talented, professional chefs from that food service industry who have partnered with Sodexo to create hundreds of 100% plant-based meals that aren't meant to serve one or two people at a time. These are recipes and menu concepts that are meant to serve thousands of people at a time in a dining operation. And you know what? The key to our success is that these recipes, they're not just 100% plant-based, but they also happen to be more affordable in terms of the ingredient purchasing so Mm -hmm. the company can save money. And most importantly, 
they have to be delicious. That's the key. We want to make the right thing to do the easy thing to do. And the easy thing to do when it comes to food is to eat delicious food. And so imagine going into a university operation and instead of 5% of the the options being plant-based, imagine 50% are. And guess what? Those 50% happen to be absolutely phenomenally delicious. That's how we can help our society. Uh, There's people in colleges. There's people sadly in hospitals. There's people all across the country in dining halls eat more climate-friendly, humane, and also healthy for themselves. Mm-hmm. And I can say, I mean, all of my kids um, have had that same experience in their colleges. They're really uh, moving in that direction, and it, it changed their palates, um, you know, for the better. I mean, they were all psyched to eat as much junk food as they wanted to when they left home. <laughs> uh, but, but surprise, <laughs> you know, they had some really <laughs> great healthy options. Now, you know, we've got a couple more minutes before we go to commercial break. Give us some idea of who's fighting the hardest against your work, Josh, um, and how can our listeners help? What can we do to be part of the fight? You know what they say is that power never gives up uh, their power uh, without a fight. And within animal agribusiness, you know, really the chicken industry is fighting very hard against the work that we're doing. And one of the ways they're doing it is by trying to pass ag-gag laws which means this, is that if, if there's someone that does undercover work, like what I described earlier, or even if there's a whistleblower at their company who wants to come forward with what's actually happening within the walls of factory farms, they're passing laws to make that a crime. So in other words, it won't be a crime to harm the animals, like I described. It will be a crime to expose the abuse of the animals. What a, what a strange world we live in that that's what the crime would be. And the reason why they're pushing it is because they know if the ordinary American hears about the cruelty going on to the pigs, the chickens, uh, the egg-laying hens, that we're going to move away from buying the product. So that's why they're trying to hide it for everybody. So I would say the chicken industry is fighting very hard uh, against us. and, And, hey, anything we can do to remove our support from those industries, that's the best way to combat them. Let's do it. Well, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, there's a whole bunch more Go Green Radio with Josh. So don't go away, folks. We'll be right back after this. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could tune in and so glad that we have our guest today, Josh Falk, the Vice President of Farm Animal Protection for the Humane Society of the United States. Now, Josh, you have some exciting news. Uh, You have co-founded a company called Just, and I'd love for you to tell us all about it and where we can find your products. Thanks for asking about Just because I love talking about it. And here's the reason why. It's a company that was founded to make the world better. Uh, I founded it with my best friend. His name is also Josh, so two Joshes. Uh, he's been my best friend since we were kids. Uh, and you know, I, was, I, I was and still am at the Humane Society, so I did this on the side. And, and here's what I was thinking. I was thinking, you know, right now, food companies especially are strapped to a supply chain that's focused on these animal products. But what would it be like to produce uh, food products that don't come from animals, from plants instead. And how about we can produce food products that replace animal products like eggs? So my best friend and I founded a company uh, called Just, and Just uses mung beans to produce, crazy enough, eggs. And so, this, wow. so the, the preeminent products are Just Egg that you can get in the egg section in, of virtually every major grocer in the country, and there's also a frozen patty just egg that is uh, in Whole Foods across the country. And you can scramble it up just like eggs, tastes just like eggs, has more protein than eggs, there's no cholesterol, and of course, no animals were harmed. It dramatically reduces the impact on climate change, land use, water use. Uh, and so you know, my belief is like, hey, let's do some conscious capitalism here. Let's create some products. <laughs> and companies that do some good in the world. And that's what Just is all about. I love it. I love it. And I I can't wait to try it. Um, I I know that, you know, in my family, we have a variety of different diets. And some of us like scrambled eggs. And so, you know, it's hard to do that with some of the other products, powdered <laughs> products, you know, that, that maybe you can bake with True. to be plant-free. So I am super excited to, to try it out and, and I will, I'll report back on how much I love it. Um, oh, you know, please do. <laughs> yeah. And you know, when, um, when you're starting a company like this or when you're working with existing food companies, you know, they, they have to be mindful of their investors and when you talk to investors about plant-based food and cruelty-free practices, what are they telling you about their willingness to invest? Now the investors see this as a prime opportunity for even solely financial reasons to get behind plant-based food companies. And that's a lot better position than maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, that Maybe some investors would back these type of companies just for the goodness of their heart, but think, you know what, I'm not sure it's going to be successful. I don't see the country shifting really in this direction, but I support it more of like a charitable contribution than anything else. Mm -hmm. But now, even without any type of conscious, even without a heart for animals or the environment, investors are supporting companies like Justin and others because they do see more Americans ever 
buying their products. In fact, you know, research that just found, along with other plant-based companies like Beyond Meat and mm-hmm. Impossible, they all have found that the vast majority of people who buy their products eat meat. These are everyday <laughs> people eat meat, but they're trying to incorporate more plant-based food. So it sounds like your type of family, Jill, people mixed in, maybe vegans, vegetarians, meat eaters, all together yep. in a family, but everybody's <laughs> trying to do better. That's exactly our scenario. And so, you know, and we, we don't judge each other. We, we all make our own choices <laughs> about, you know, what we personally want to support. So that means that when we all get together, and hopefully that'll be soon when the pandemic is over, I, I feel like a short order cook. I'm making a little bit for this person, a little bit for that person. But um, <laughs> your company and others make it a whole lot easier for all of us to sit around the table in unity. So I love that. Um I, I want to ask you a really pragmatic question. Um, some of our listeners may be, you know, trying to absorb all this information and, and wondering, well, what's my place in all of this? How do I plug in? So I'd love for you to give us maybe three things that we could do this week or this month to help bring about a more humane existence for farm animals. Well, first, please feel free to go to humanesociety.org. And just sign up for our alerts, you know, sign up for our daily blog. You know, the more that uh, we're in the loop of things, you know, I think just the better informed we are, the better we are for the planet in terms of the actions that we can take. So that's what I would say first, humanesociety.org. Next, what I would say is start trying these plant-based meats. And, and what I encourage my brother to do, who's, I've been vegan for 20 years, he's far <laughs> from vegan. So two brothers <laughs> far, far from each other. But know what he does, though, is that he buys these plant-based meats from his local grocery store uh, outside of Philadelphia, and he just tries a variety of them. And then he chooses which ones he likes, which one he doesn't, and then he starts incorporating that more in their diet. So I would say try these plant-based meats out in the market. You know, Beyond, Impossible, Gardein, uh, Field Roast, the list goes on. Trust me, they're in the grocery stores you shop at. And the very last thing is support your local vegetarian vegan restaurant. Almost every city suburb has vegetarian and vegan restaurants. And these days of the pandemic, we should support local restaurants. So, hey, let's get some takeout from there. Oh, I love that idea. That's a great idea. And I'm very thankful for restaurants, even if they're not known for being vegan or vegetarian. Um, a lot of restaurants are starting to offer uh, more of those options. And, and that helps people that like myself who've you know made choices to to cut out meat and and animal products to sit down with friends and family at their restaurants. And I I really appreciate that. You know, when I first made this choice um, to to become a vegetarian, that was my first step. You know, I was on the search for resources that would help me. And and it was not just recipes that I was looking for. I, I needed more than that. What are some resources that you recommend, Josh, for people who are just starting to make changes to their diet uh, and changes to their life to favor plant-based foods? Because this can be really hard to make this transition without some help. What I would do is go into Google and type in vegetarian starter guide. And here's the reason why I would do it. There are a variety of vegetarian starter guides that help people take those steps. Because I was like you, Jill, like I, I went vegetarian in the 90s. And that was a lot harder than these days. And you can imagine yeah. how challenging it was back then, yeah. for sure. But following a starter guide, it makes it dramatically easier because it helps provide the options that we could have for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It lays out a really nice 
kind of calendar situation for uh, for us to follow so we can follow a, a good path. Uh, and it gives us, you know, easy recipe ideas, shopping ideas. And there are so many vegetarian starter guides online that you can choose the one that fits your, your personality, your interest, your background. So type that into Google. I swear you're going to come up with probably a dozen of them and choose a starter guide that's right for you. It's all that's for free advice. too. How, how's, that, how's that great? Helping the world yeah. and animals for free? <laughs> I love it. It's a win-win all the way around. You know, when I first went vegetarian, and I'm sure you had this, um, you know, as you went vegan and whatnot, people are always like, oh, my gosh, how do you get your protein? You know, um, and, <laughs> and, and now we're seeing, you know, Avengers and we're seeing professional athletes that are vegan. Um, you know, how do, how do you answer that question? Uh, I would ask everybody, please watch the film Game Changers on Netflix. It is phenomenal. It's directed by an Academy Award-winning director, Luisa Hoyas, and it is about how people who are looking at the health of their bodies are increasingly looking to plants. In fact, uh, for football fans listening, Tom Brady eats virtually an entirely plant-based diet just for the science that plant-based heals our, our bodies better than anything else. And so highly recommend the film Game Changers. I promise everybody listening, you will enjoy it family-friendly, you're going to have a good time watching it. <laughs> that's a great recommendation. Maybe we could do that over Thanksgiving. <laughs> um, oh, that's you know, fun. <laughs> you know, I, I want to, there's one last thing I want to get to before we have to say goodbye, and that is, what could we do um, besides changing our diet? I mean, it'd be great if everybody went vegetarian or vegan, but while there's still a market for, for animal products, what are a couple of things that our listeners could do to get involved in maybe legislation or public policy? Well, definitely signing up the humanesociety.org site. You will get alerted for the public policy efforts that are going on within your communities. So okay. if you're in Pennsylvania, you'll learn about, hey, what options are in Pennsylvania to get involved in each and every state. So that's the first thing that I would say. The second mm-hmm. thing I'd say overall is that, hey, in this COVID world where a lot of us aren't really hanging out outside as much as we used to or going to bars or restaurants, things like that, I would probably recommend you know, getting some friends a book to read. And, and the book that I oh. would, would really recommend is called Eating Animals by Jonathan Saffron Four. Uh, you know, who is you know, an award-winning yeah. writer. Thank you, Josh. It's a tremendous Josh. book, and, and it's good yeah. for everybody. Thank you so much, and I really appreciate all the work that you're doing. I appreciate our listeners for tuning in. We're going to be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. Until then, have a wonderful week, and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.